All right. Um, Christmas time is a time of giving and receiving, right? We get presents, but we also give presents. But there's something that happens to us the older we get, right? Uh, we start to get less and less presents, don't we? I mean, if Christmas is all about giving and receiving, then for adults, it's more giving and less receiving. But for children, it's more receiving and less giving. It always amazes me how different the piles look in our house between me and my wife and the kids because Kristen loves to put everybody's gifts together in a pile. And when I look at their pile, I'm like, that looks nothing like my pile. <laughs> they have a whole lot more than I do. <laughs> but even though adults may not get as many presents as children, it's not necessarily a bad thing though, right? Because isn't there a trade-off <laughs> that takes place? And sorry, kids, to burst your bubble, but the reason why we have less presents is because our presents are more expensive. <laughs> our presents that we give to one another cost more than yours does. Christmas is about giving and receiving. But for some of us, when we get older, not getting as many presents isn't the only thing that changes. When we get older, we lose that childlike anticipation that childlike expectation of receiving grace from God, don't we? There are many factors for this, but I just want to focus on a few. The first one is this. The longer that you live with yourself, you realize something. <laughs> You're not as good as you thought you were. You're actually more selfish than you ever thought you were. You live more for yourself than you do for others. And you can try to hide that fact in public. You can wear the mask. You can pretend that you're doing better than you know you really are. But behind closed doors, you know the reality of who you are. So maybe this is why we try to busy ourselves with so much activities, so we don't have to stop and face that fact. Or maybe this is why we're checking social media so much, to to flood our minds, to divert our minds away from facing that fact. Or this is why we can't stand silence. We don't want to be alone with ourselves because we don't want to face the reality of ourselves. The more we face the reality of ourselves, the more we fear what God will think of us. And because we think that we're just a big disappointment to God, we no longer anticipate or expect to receive grace from God, which leads to another factor. <laughs> we, still we still continue to struggle with sin. And I'm not talking about the occasional struggle or the occasional temptation. I'm talking about the constant struggle with your number one sin. The one you know is wrong, but you still cherish it. The sin that causes you to lie to others when they ask you about it. The sin that's wreaking havoc on your soul. The sin that you prayed for God to remove the desire for, and he hasn't. And because he hasn't, you no longer anticipate or expect he's going to be gracious to you. 
See, in your mind, you think he's not being gracious towards you. You think he's had enough of you. And because he's had enough of you, because you're unwilling to give up your cherished sin, he's unwilling to be gracious in return. And then the last factor may simply be you don't understand grace. <laughs> you think it's conditional. You think grace is earned or deserved based on your performance, but that's not grace. That's a wage. So you're treating God as if he's your boss. <laughs> because I've done this for you, you owe me what I deserve. I've lived a good life. I've done everything right. I deserve. But grace is not a wage. It's not a wage that is worked for or deserved. It is an unmerited gift that is given to those who don't deserve it. See, and here's the rub. When we think that grace is a wage and not a gift, when we don't receive blessing from God, we have this sense of insecurity that wells up within us. This insecurity that, well, because I'm not receiving it must mean I'm not doing enough, or it must mean I'm doing the wrong things. So what do you do? You redouble your efforts on obedience. You try harder, right? But the insecurity is still there. And because it's still there, you no longer anticipate, you no longer expect to receive grace from God. Believe it or not, because Christmas is about giving and receiving, God wants you to experience the gift of his grace just like a child does at Christmas every single day. He wants you to live every day in the anticipation and expectation that God will be gracious to you. God wants you to live in the calm of knowing that everything has already been done for you. You can rest in the fact that Jesus has accomplished your salvation. God wants you to know and experience every single day his presence and his peace. This is why I chose Romans 4 as our Advent text, because I want to focus on how Jesus, as God's gift of grace, is the gift that keeps on giving. Uh, and I was, I'm going to, I'm just going to, I'm going to focus on verses 1 through 8, but I want to read the whole chapter of Romans 4 so that you, you get the whole context, and Paul is just simply unpeeling the onion there's just layer upon layer upon layer and even more grace upon grace upon grace in this whole chapter. What shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted or credited to him as righteousness. Now, the one who works 
His wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count or credit his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised, the Jews, or also for the uncircumcised, the Gentiles? See, we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. Okay, why? The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised. So that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised, who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, then faith is null and the promise is void. For if it is, I already said that, there we go, the promise of verse 15. For the law brings wrath, but where there is law, where there is no law, there is no transgression. This is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise might rest on grace and be guaranteed to all of Abraham's offspring, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. And I'll stop because you get the point, right? You're being made right with God in no way comes through your obedience to the law. It comes by trusting in Jesus alone. This is the word of the Lord. All right, and I prayed, so we're going to jump in. Now... There are many factors as to why we no longer anticipate or expect to receive grace from God. There are many factors, but there is one underlying root. There is one underlying root behind all of the factors for why we don't anticipate and expect to receive grace from God. And you know what it is? Unbelief. Unbelief. The problem with our unbelief, though, it has more to do with us than it does with God. You see, we put more weight on what we think rather than on what God says. We base how God feels about us more on what we do or don't do than on what God has already done. In other words, we trust more in what we see than in what God says. 
So Christians may say, yeah, well, I believe in Jesus and he is the gift of God's grace, but we don't always believe that he is God's gift that keeps on giving all the time. We believe, but we don't always believe. Help my unbelief. But we don't believe in specific circumstances and situations, though. So all of us need help with our unbelief. And Romans 4 is meant to help with our unbelief. Because of who Jesus is and what Jesus does has done, he is the gift that keeps on giving every single day, not just at Christmas. But to see it, we need to understand the significance of a doctrine that the church has lost today. It is a doctrine called justification. See, Christmas is all about our justification. And you cannot separate Christmas from Easter. The reason why Jesus took on flesh and became a baby cannot be separated from the fact that he became one so that he could die. And then God raises him from the dead. Or to quote a line from my favorite Christmas hymn, O Holy Night. O Holy Night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. God left heaven to be with us so that the human soul could feel its worth to God. Jesus left the glory of heaven and took on flesh so that you and I would know our value and our worth to him. Jesus became like us so that we could become like him. Jesus came to make us right with God. And when we trust that we are made right with God through his life, through his death, and through his resurrection... We're embraced. We're accepted. <laughs> we are deeply loved and delighted in. We are declared to be holy and blameless in the sight of God. See, Jesus came so that we could be justified and find our worth in him. But because we don't always believe how much we are worth to God, what do we do? We try to find worth from other things. When other things can't give us the worth that we long for, we become empty and we doubt our worth to God. And when we doubt our worth to God, we no longer anticipate or expect that God will be gracious to us. You see, justification is the most important and practical doctrine in the church today. And sadly and unfortunately, it's so neglected that a lot of Christians don't even know it. They don't even know what it is. Or if we do know what it is, it sounds too good to be true. 
Romans 4, as I said, it's like peeling the onion of God's justifying grace where there is just layer upon layer of grace and there's more grace and even more grace. In other words, you you cannot exhaust the gift of God's justifying grace. Now, on certain days, like your birthday or Christmas, you expect <laughs> to get gifts, right? But when you realize that the gift of justification is given to those who don't deserve it, you struggle with receiving it because we know we don't deserve it. And because we know we don't deserve it, we feel like we must repay God somehow. We feel like that we have to do something for God to prove that we're worthy to receive this. And Paul knows this. He knows that we struggle to accept and believe it. He knows it. That's why he's writing chapter 4. He's writing chapter 4 so that we would believe it better. He's writing Romans 4 so that we would believe it more fully, so we would believe it more deeply, so we would believe it more powerfully. One of my seminary professors, Dr. Edmund Clowney, who has been now deceased for over, gosh, 20 years, said this in class one time, no one ever struggled to believe God because he promised too little. We struggle to believe God because he promises too much. We struggle to believe in God's justifying grace because it is too much. It is too good. It's so good that it makes it so hard for us to believe it. See, it's too hard to accept without thinking that there's some string attached, right? There's got to be small fine print somewhere behind it, right? But a gift with a string attached to it, it's not a gift. (laughs) That's called a bribe, right? Justification is a gift of God's grace. It is not a bribe, and it is not a wage. It is a gift that keeps on giving, and it is received by faith alone in the finished work of Christ alone. This is what Paul's been arguing so far in the whole book of Romans. In chapters 1 through 3, Paul is putting all of humanity on trial before God. His intent is to show us how all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us, in other words, are seeking worth and value from things other than God. Therefore, Paul says in Romans 3, verses 9 to 12, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who seeks after God, not even one. All have turned away from God and all have become worthless. And because we have turned away from God to find our worth, now no one can find God's worth and justification by anything that they do. In chapter 3, verse 20, Paul says, Through works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. No human being will be justified in his sight through their obedience. And then in chapter 3, 21 through 26, because we try to find our worth apart from God and can't, God reveals the worth of his son. 
He sends his son to live the life that we were required to live. And then to die the death that we deserved to die. Jesus accomplishes righteousness through his perfect sinless life. And then he satisfies God's justice for all of our unrighteousness through his sacrificial death. And now, because Jesus accomplishes righteousness with his life, and because he satisfies the justice of God with his sacrificial death, God gives to those who trust in him Jesus' righteousness as a gift. This gracious gift, it cannot be earned. This gracious gift cannot be bought. This gracious gift... No human being can get by observing the law. This gracious gift of justification is received through faith alone. This is why in chapter 3, verse 28, Paul says, For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. And then to prove it now, we have Romans 4. And he uses Abraham, which means the gift of justification is not a New Testament invention. (laughs) It's ancient. It's old. It goes all the way back to Abraham. In chapter 4, verse 1, Paul is asking, what did Abraham discover? And then in verse 3, he answers it, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. See, what's Paul doing? He's quoting Genesis 15, 6. Abraham's faith is the basis for God crediting or counting righteousness to Abraham's account. And why is this significant? Because in Genesis chapter 12, God graciously came to a man by the name of Abram at that time. Abram was an idol worshiper from Babel. (laughs) And God promises him a son, And this son would be the seed that causes a great nation. And through this son, all nations will be blessed. But it's been many, many years now. And Abraham's struggling because God still hasn't given him a son. So God in chapter 15 reiterates his promise that he's going to give him a son. Abraham believed. In that promise. And God reckons or counts righteousness to him. See, the word reckon, it is an accounting term. It means to count or to credit something to one's account. To credit to an account, catch this, a status that was not there before. Because Abraham believed in what God said and promised about providing a son. God credits to Abraham's account a status of righteousness that wasn't there before. A new status, in other words, is transferred to Abraham's account. God declares Abraham to be righteous even though he is not morally righteous. And according to verse 4, Paul makes it clear that this gift is not like a wage. Abraham did not work to earn this gift. It was was not given to him because of what he did. 
It was a gift because he believed. See, if Abraham worked to get it, then it would have been a wage that he deserved, Paul says. But this gift of being counted as righteous is a gift that is freely bestowed upon the one who believes. It's not a wage that is earned through what we do. So, look at verse 5, because who receives this gracious gift? (laughs) Who is counted or reckoned as righteous? And this is so radical, it may offend us. (laughs) But we need to be offended by it. Because what is he saying? God does not justify good people. God does not look down at people and be like, oh, man, I like how that person's living. They're living right. I'm going to justify him. No. Who does he credit righteousness to? The ungodly. Which means only ungodly and unrighteous people (laughs) are justified. Only sinful, broken people are justified. So guess what, for all of you who are coming face-to-face with the reality that you're not as good as you thought. (laughs) Or for those of us, all of us, who continue to struggle with sin. If you are ungodly, (laughs) you are qualified to have righteousness reckoned to your account. If you are unrighteous, then you are qualified to have a new status counted in your account. See, the gift of justification is given to those who know they don't deserve it. It's given to those who believe that God gives it graciously as a gift. See, if you think you deserve it, (laughs) if you think you're worthy of receiving it, You're disqualified. And I don't want you to miss this. Those who are counted or credited with righteousness that wasn't there before, they aren't changed morally. They aren't made righteous. And I'm sorry, but this is where my Catholic brethren get it wrong. They're declared to be righteous when they aren't. And this is what makes it so hard to believe, isn't it? (laughs) This is what makes it so hard for us to trust in what God says to be true. (laughs) Because we know we're not righteous. Because we still sin. And yet God says, I declare you righteous. But how can this be? How can God declare something to exist that did not exist before? How can I be righteous when I know I'm not? This is the whole meaning of Christmas. This is why Jesus came. Jesus came to accomplish your righteousness. Jesus came to live a perfect, sinless life. He came to earn your justification, so that God could graciously give it to you. 
as a gift. See, Jesus came, in other words, so that your soul could feel its worth to God. You see, you can't get more righteous than Jesus, right? (laughs) Jesus was the only person who walked this earth who did not sin. He's the only person who walked this earth who obeyed God perfectly. And because he did, that's why God raised him from the dead. God justified Jesus and gave him what he deserved, a glorified, ultra, supra life. So now, when God reckons us as righteous, it's not a righteousness of our own. It's the gift of Jesus' righteousness. We're declared to have Jesus' status. So when God credits to your account Jesus' righteousness, how much are you worth to God How valuable are you to God? You have the value of his son. That's how he sees you. That's how he views you. And that's how he treats you. You are deeply loved and delighted in. You are fully accepted and embraced. You are declared to have a right standing with God, and don't miss this. This is an irreversible verdict. This is an irrevocable verdict. This is true for all of eternity. And I got to wrap it up. To prove that the gift of Jesus' justification is a gift, that keeps on giving, Paul turns to King David in verses 6 through 8, and he quotes Psalm 32, verses 1 through 2, a psalm associated with David's adultery with Bathsheba and the murder of her husband, Uriah. This is now where we start peeling the onion, and we just see layer of grace upon layer of grace and more grace. Because three blessings that come with God reckoning someone righteous apart from works. Three blessings that keep on giving every single day. First blessing is found in the word forgiveness. It means to lift, to remove, to take away. By honestly confessing his sin, David discovered that God removed it. God lifts it. God completely takes it away. What else? Second blessing. It's found in this word covered. Word covered means concealed from sight. God has removed David's sin so completely that he no longer sees it. And it's so completely covered and concealed from God's sight, he no longer sees it. And if you're tracking with me, you've got to say, how in the world can that be? How can murder be covered? How can adultery and coveting be covered? Because that's what he did. In one act, David breaks five of the Ten Commandments. How can it be completely covered and concealed from God's sight? Answer, because David is covered with a righteousness that is not his own. David is covered. 
with Jesus' righteousness. Third blessing is found in the word impute. It's the same word that Abraham discovered in verse 3. It means to count. It means to reckon, to declare a status that was not there before. See, not only does God forgive and remove David's sin so completely that he no longer sees it, but God now does not count David's sin against him, which means David's sin is never going to add or pile up to his account. There's no list. God does not accumulate all of David's debt and have a record of it. Because it's been canceled. All the debt has been canceled. And unlimited righteousness has been credited to David's account. Now, notice something here. David is not saying, blessed are those who do not sin. He's not saying, blessed are those who avoid sin. No, blessed are those whose sins are forgiven, whose sins are covered, whose sins are not counted against him. So what's David acknowledging? He's a sinner, and yet he's still blessed at the same time. Because David's sin is not counted against him, because David's sin is completely covered, because David's sin is fully forgiven, the gift that keeps on giving is you are ungodly and unrighteous and yet deeply loved. Even when you sin, God delights in you. God embraces you. God fully accepts and forgives you. See, David's present and future sins don't cancel this verdict out. It doesn't change it. He is reckoned righteous. God declares that he is righteous, and that is irreversible and irrevocable. So I get in. When you... When you hear that God justifies the ungodly, when you hear that God graciously gives the gift of Christ's righteousness to those who don't deserve it, when you hear that God forgives all of your sin, when you hear that your sin is covered with Jesus' righteousness so God does not count your sin against you, when you hear that he only views you and treats you as he does his son, then I have one and only one exhortation to you, to my non-Christian friends. Even though this sounds too good to be true, don't you want it to be? Don't you want it to be true? By God's authority, the only qualification for you to receive this gift is believe it. Believe it. Trust in Jesus to find the worth that you're searching for. Trust in Jesus' righteousness, and you will receive the forgiveness you so desperately need. 
And then to my Christian friends, <laughs> why does what you think carry more weight than what God says? When the God who created all things by the power of his word declares you are righteous, then why would you listen to your voice over his? Same exhortation applies to you, Christian. Believe it. Believe it better. Believe it bigger. Believe it brighter. Beat it into your head <laughs> so it grips your heart. And what is it? You are sinful and blessed at the same time. Which means when God credits Jesus' righteousness to your account, you are a deeply loved failure. You're a deeply loved failure. Christmas is all about God giving us his son. And it's all about us receiving the gift of his grace that keeps on giving every single day. Amen.